you are listening to Life in Lockdown with me, Jasmine Allen. Episode 7, Darren. It's Sunday the 3rd of May and it's just gone half past two in the afternoon and I'm speaking to Darren today. Hi Darren. Hello. Now I know that the last few weeks have been quite a tumultuous time for you uh, during the coronavirus and the lockdown. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right considering, but yeah, uh, I, I guess I'm a quite a statistical cluster of COVID-19 in that um, I'm pretty certain I had it, uh, although, you know, I think the thing to say is I displayed coronavirus symptoms. Uh-huh. So I had it myself for ooh, 12 days. Uh, my girlfriend, who I was isolating with did as well and then my mum got it and went to hospital with it and then my dad got it we don't live together I don't live in the same household as my mum and dad um and then after about uh, times time goes weird doesn't it uh well yeah about two and a half weeks later my dad died my dad died in intensive care in uh, Basildon Hospital in the intensive care unit uh, and my mum has now recovered to an extent she's out of hospital and she is back home and so now I am staying with my mum and caring for some pre-existing health issues um, but also the after effects of coronavirus whilst we're also trying to yes sort out the ad- administration of death and sort out my dad's funeral so yeah there's there's been a lot of it <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear all of that that you've been through in the last few weeks um obviously I, I did know that I've um, been in touch with you briefly in that time um but it's an awful lot to happen you're it's fair to say your whole world has just kind of changed in, in quite a sh- short space of time, yeah. in ways that I'm guessing you didn't imagine either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's also like, I don't really, I don't really deny anyone their own sort of traumatic experience of coronavirus, even without any of this, like, 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 like people who haven't had any of the experiences that I've had. I feel that, you know, to read, or to see that people are, are suffering from anxiety or depression just from the effects of um, lockdown or, or isolation or social distancing is, is, is also, you know, completely valid. And so that there, is, there is that as a backdrop to it as well. So that, you know, when I um, lift my head up from losing my dad or, 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 or the frustrations of caring for my very old mum, I still go out and see people with masks on and, and and online seeing people coping with the weirdness or trauma even of, of, of being alone I mean that's that's there as almost like a background noise to it as well um, and 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 that's also fine you know I sort of can still com- com- completely commiserate with people about um, uh, boredom loneliness and all the other things that, that are happening as well in fact maybe 
you know, maybe that's one thing I, I, I've, I've missed out on. Maybe, maybe I haven't been that bored you know, because I've, I've had a few things to do, um, to say the least. Yeah, and you're currently at your mum's house. Um, yeah, and that's odd as well. Like, I don't... There's, there's, there's another thing that's happening is that I'm living in the house I, I grew up in from the age of two and left when we all leave, like 18, I guess. And um, that's, that's also kind of weird. There's another thing going on, which is seeing objects and, and having different memories of uh, my childhood. And some of this might be might have been quite poetic or interesting under any other circumstances and 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 say like my you know my exercise or walking the dog is sometimes doing the walk that I used to walk to uh my infant or junior school or, or walking past old friend's house so there's a, a weird um collision of like the beginning of life and the end of my dad's life it's, it's sort of odd I'm spending a lot of time thinking about um my childhood I suppose because mm. yeah, I'm actually where I'm sick and see a, a, a green vase by the window which I think has been in this house for about 50 years but I've never thought about that green vase before but I've just seen it just now and I, I I'm seeing objects like that all the time and, and I, it's and I haven't necessarily like processed how those things connect or maybe they don't you know so you found yourself back at home, in your childhood home, um, grieving for your father who you've just lost and also focusing on the recovery of your mother. Um, yeah. My mum's not a young 72. She has a very bad back. She takes a lot of painkillers and different things. Mm. In fact, what my mum and dad didn't realise they had coronavirus. What happened was, is my mum fell backwards down the stairs uh, and the ambulance called, called because of that. And then when she was taken into hospital, then they did a, the coronavirus um, test on her. My dad was kind of then prioritised because he was uh, 75 and at home on his own. And, is, and, in, and, and as should have been in complete isolation. Um, so we were even sort of optimistic that he'd done some kind of queue jumping even, but my, by my mum having the coronavirus, mm. he somehow maybe hadn't got the, the fight to be admitted into hospital that some people might have. You know, I don't mean that to dis the NHS or anything, it's just they're under a lot of strain. Um, so I think initially, you know, me and my sister were kind of reasonably optimistic. Okay, right, they've got coronavirus, but, but and, and, and also this is pretty early on as well. This mm. is um, about a month ago, you know, when, when we were talking about, about the hospitals being overstretched, when we were talking about a prevention to stop this peak. So even then it wasn't quite the chaos or, or heightened um, PPE shortage that there is now. So I think there was some reason to be um, optimistic, but it just, it just it just hit him. It just hit him really um it's really hard. And to the best of my knowledge, he was largely sedated or barely conscious through his 
uh, tiny hospital guesses. Some comfort. We were told to expect the worst about 10 days before he actually died. So yeah. there, was a, there was a day of sort of almost like coming to terms with the fact that he may well die. And then he just plateaued like the graph of, of coronavirus victims. He plateaued and just stayed exactly the same uh, for about 10 days. So that was weird, a weird sort of stasis of thinking my dad is probably going to die, but that's not definite. Um, and then just about three days before he died, uh, Matt Hancock announced this sort of change in policy that one, one relative could visit someone if, you know, they kind of knew it was at the end. So on the day he died, uh, I got a phone call from the ward who said I could go in. So another experience I've had within this is that I went to uh, Basildon Hospital and went on the um, intensive care uh, COVID-19 ward, or one of two. Lots of wards are being repurposed, so mm. a ward that wasn't previously intensive can become intensive care. Um, and there was a moment then, like quite separate to the experience of of, of knowing I was going to see my dad for the last time. There was also an experience of getting all the, the protective gear on. And I, I'm kind of quite glad I did it. I just did have one moment to sort of, as I was walking through to look around and see the ward. And that was like one of the, wow. I mean, it's just it's quite incredible to, to, to see it. You know, it's quite incredible to see um, lots and lots of people all completely masked up and 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 lots of people potentially uh, dying in beds it was it was i mean it, it's not a sight that we're used to yeah it's just it's an overused description and i wish yeah. i could think of something better but it's very science fiction it looked mm. very it looked very it looked very movie like you know it reminded me a little reminded me a little bit of the one i think of isn't isn't um What's the one? That, there is a film everyone's. Contagion about. is the one that we watched. Yeah, I, w I wasn't thinking about Contagion. I was thinking about ET. <laughs> okay. You know, at the end of ET yeah. when they had the plastic thing and they all come in the suits. Yeah. And I was thinking about ET when I saw, yeah. saw it. And so then I I uh, spent some time with my dad, and then I came uh, uh, back so, and to my sister and two nieces and nephews and tried to share that experience as much as possible because um you know i'm the only one who had that experience but obviously there's more people that perhaps ideally would have wanted that experience how was it you then that got to go if it was one person did you have to have a kind of just really frank discussion together about who was going to go in to see your dad um i think we'd vaguely come to that decision before because we considered that i was uh, I I probably had it, and so we were going on the assumption that um, I I I I mean I know that nothing's certain, but I think there's it's probable that people that have had it have ha had some resistance to it, mm -hmm. like the, the antibodies, even though we don't know that I had. So there was there was there was that uh, consideration. There was also the consideration that my sister uh, was in a household with four other people, and I wasn't. But also, it just seemed 
quite natural that it was me. And I, I suppose that's something about the dynamic of my family. Um, it wasn't something that was discussed that much. It wasn't actually a participant that came hard, uh, came to us with difficulty. Donna, my sister, said, you go. Um, yeah, you go. Uh, and and the, the doctors, I, I mean, I don't think the doctor cared one way or the other whether I felt I had had it or not. And I really honestly, I, I, I change each day as to whether I think I had it. I don't really know. But um, it was more that he was uh, trying to enforce on me the potential risk. So he was talking to me as though I hadn't had it, which I guess is the only intelligent way he could do it. Yeah. So his only concern was, you can come on this ward as long as you know the risk yeah. you're, you're potentially putting yourself under. But actually, I can't know for certain, but I've got a hunch that even if I hadn't had it, I would have found that decision quite easy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would. I just don't think you'd give it too much thought. Like, do you want to go and say goodbye to your dad? You just go, yeah, of course I do. You know, I'll, I'll risk it, you know. Um, I'm 49, you know, I, I'll, I'll have a mask on. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it's more that it was such an incredibly fraught day that I didn't even give it much thought either way anyway. Maybe I didn't give it much thought. So then I had to sort of share that experience with uh, my sister and her brother-in-law, but more importantly, uh, the children. I say children, something like, what are they, something like 12, 17, and 18. And then, of course, we then had to uh, decide how to tell my mum, who was also in hospital on the COVID-19 ward. But on a different ward? Actually, actually, at that point, she was in a different hospital. She was right. for a while in the same hospital. But at this point, she was, she was, for a while, she was in the same hospital, different ward. But now, at this point, she's been moved to... Um, they've converted, like, a community hospital into kind of I guess like a halfway house so so people that had kind of perhaps peaked with COVID-19 symptoms but weren't ready to be discharged so it was like a community hospital hospital in Brentwood in Essex and so then it 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 was like how are we going to do that and I guess by that point it was like well you know Darren's been in one COVID-19 ward, what does it make any difference if he goes on another? So so then after that I had to then go to another hospital and um, have my password and everything and then get suited up and then go on another ward and tell my mum that my dad had died. So it's like one of those days, I think everyone has a few days like this where I kind of almost imagine that in sort of 10 years time, I could still almost tell you what every half hour of that day consisted of. You know, it's just like a day that sort of every sort of event is quite clear in my mind. Even even the dog walk I took in the morning before this took and, 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 and what I ate and everything, you know, it's like a, a really <laughs> packed day. Yeah. A, a super intense day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and not a day that you... I'm trying to think now. I don't think it was a day... I don't think I cried. It was just every event was then the next event. And even after, like, my dad had died and I told my mum and I'd driven back to my flat, there was still 
people to notify my dad's sister. There were other people that I had in it um, that were phoning and texting me, like friends of my dad that were, I was the, uh, the information point. And this, all, of the, all of this story makes it sound like my sister did nothing, which is not true at all. Um, my sister did most of the uh, really, really stressful liaison with the hospital. Um, all through their illness and, 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 and did most of the sort of um, very frustrating uh, attempts to get information. Um, it, it was just that I rushed in at the, the 11th hour and, and just did the, the glory jobs right at the last bit. It's, this is none of it's just to give the impression that my sister is lacking in anything she did during this. Um, it just, yeah, that was that. That's just how that day mapped out. And since you've you've both been caring for your mother now that she's out of hospital and at home. Yeah. So then my mum was actually discharged quite soon, I think. And maybe uh, in a slightly selfish point of view from me and my, my sister's point of view, maybe like almost too soon really, you know, because we were, were dealing with one thing, then there was this other thing. Um, and so she is someone who struggles with her mobility anyway. And, um, and it's, it's a little hard. And I think us and medical staff and, and the physio and the carers that we have got are trying to ascertain how much of it is her pre-existing condition um how much of it is COVID-19 mm. or also how much of it is just being in bed for a month so another problem we have is um, the, the muscle wastage uh from her not moving and, and being you know quite elderly uh so it's still unclear how much recovery we we should expect mm -hmm. really um, at, at the moment it's round the clock care uh i think i've i don't think she's ever been left for longer than an hour i think mm -hmm. um there's there's a point where you you start doing that because i mean there's so many different types of care isn't there there's you know, there's 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 the care for for grief. There's there's the care of company. There's the actual, you know, physical care of cooking meals, uh, taking someone to the toilet, and then that. Um, but there's another kind of care as well, which eventually this woman has to regain some kind of autonomy um, and uh, independence. Um, so, so there's there's that at the back of my mind as well. That occasionally I should leave her alone, you know, when when able to, um, and also, but our mutual sanity as well, and leaving each other alone. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, pretty much around the clock. Yeah, no one thinks she can make a meal herself. No one thinks she can go for a night herself. You know. Um, there's, there's about an extra four or five people coming through this house most days doing one job or another with us, you know, so it's not us on our own. 
Uh, yeah, I am actually. You can simultaneously um, be fully in favour of a fully funded NHS and, and clap for them every week and also be frustrated with trying to phone a hospital ward. So there's obviously been moments of frustration with it, but no, I mean, no, I, I haven't got any complaints about the care of, of uh, my dad or my mum uh, through this. You know, no, I, haven't, I have only praise and thanks for them. How is your mum doing emotionally? Um, that's a difficult question to answer because uh, how can I answer this? All families are weird. All families are weird, and our family is weird. And uh, how can I answer it? It's hard to say, actually. It's hard to say. She's not someone Some, who would talk or show her feelings. Is that what you mean? Uh, my job is dealing with my emotions. You know, mm -hmm. I write words and I write songs. I mean, I feel like sometimes my hang-ups and, and, and the reason why I occasionally need therapy is almost too much of a main to my emotions, too, too much self-analysis of, of why do I feel this and, 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 and why am I doing this thing um, um, I've been thinking quite a lot about generational differences and, and it's not even to do with being artist actually, it's to do with our generation. I think, I think people our age and people younger than me, um, are much more encouraged to, 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 to think about their responses to things and what, and how they're responding. Mm. Um, the language of death and bereavement is filled with cliche um and i think that's okay too i think it it, it helps it helps to have uh, a, a set of phrases like you know he passed away i'm sorry for your loss um, it was before his time we have all these 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 phrases which we only ever really here on EastEnders and then we only ever have to say them a couple of times in our life because we don't have a lot of training for, for bereavement. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is in my mum, in, in, in using those cliches, understandably so, understandably using I often find it hard to gauge where she is mm -hmm. within her grief. Um, also, my mum is quite emotional anyway, like she gets upset very easily, things distress her quite easily. So even um, crying isn't necessarily a good gauge of, 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 of where she actually is with it. Also, as I was saying earlier with me, there's also the, the, the backdrop of the isolation um, because uh, it was almost like, have you, said, have you ever seen that film Goodbye to Lenin? Where, yeah. where the, 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 they, they have to pretend to the woman in bed that, you yeah. know, like uh, the, the Berlin Wall hasn't. Yeah. And so, 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 so my mum came out of hospital with, with um, having lost her husband, and having her, you know, pain in the ass son living with her. But also it was just like, um, oh, I think I might go and get my hair cut tomorrow. Like, no, no, mum, 
a few things happened while you're in hospital you know so it's actually another thing that's been happening is me and my sister trying to explain to her what lockdown is because it only really you know it was only that first week where we were just sort of even feeling our way through the rules right yeah. you know that sort of half and half and the pubs were still open and, and we didn't know but, quite yeah right. some only... people were not going others were saying well, yeah, still open. yeah 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 and even myself I don't you know I think a whole different set of things now to what I thought then I mean Same. I think actually I think actually right at the very beginning I was a bit one of those it's just like flu isn't it I mean I think I, I think I did think that at least for a day or two I thought that yeah um uh so there's that as well you know i mean because as i say i I, th I think it's completely reasonable to talk to someone who's suffering from some kind of extreme trauma just over the lockdown alone mm. you know and i think i think there's that, that that surreal edge to it is is also something i i i'm, I'm unsure of, of of how well my mom's dealing with and also the trauma she has of suddenly finding herself unable to walk except with a walking frame and 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 her uh, wondering you know whether she will be able to walk properly again unaided so so to, to sort of to, to, to pull all those things out from this person and, and you know so I, I guess my surprise would be I, i'm not sure if my dad's death has really had a lot of time to rest with any of us actually and I mean, I certainly feel that myself. Like I can imagine, I can imagine someone listening to this thinking, well, he doesn't sound very upset. <laughs> I'm even laughing nervously a few times. But, um, but it's only been days, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, it's actually been two weeks yesterday since, okay. he, since he died. Um, it, time but, is, a, is funny in this, in this lockdown period anyway, for those yeah. of us who aren't dealing with the things that you've been dealing yeah. with. And yeah, no, no. Um, so yeah two weeks gosh it is still very very recent yeah as i'm talking now the funeral is uh thursday so it's sunday now so no, no, four or five days away uh whether or not that i mean that would do something won't it i mean as, as rational as atheist as you can be i i, I should imagine a, a funeral is is some kind of um some kind of marker or staging post in 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 how you progress through these things. I, I, I'm sure it will have some sort of effect on people and 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 move them to another stage of grief. Not implying at all that it will be over or anything. Mm -hmm. Presumably, you're having to limit numbers on people who can go if there's a funeral. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's. Um, uh nine of us i think the limit is 10 so it's um my sister and her family which is five people myself and my mum and uh my dad's sister and her husband so i guess actually as my sister lives like incredibly close to my mum so i guess what's happened is that we've become kind of an isolated group of seven in a way mm -hmm. of households now due to care necessarily um, sort of become one unit. So whenever this any of this seven deals with anyone outside. But of course we do all the time because we're now dealing with carers every day who are coming in masked and gloved and everyone's trying their best. Mm -hmm. But it's actually another one of those situations where you know you have to question how much 
social distancing is possible when two or three people are trying to help another person go to the bathroom or something you know and the um and also the uh the social distancing itself it changes quite a few things about how a funeral can be done anyway um there's no opportunity to view might add um i don't mm, i'm unsure whether people would have done or not i don't know quite what my, what my family thinks about things like that but but the option wasn't there anyway um yeah the option for guests i don't think the hearse can go from my mum's house either so um a funeral itself is um but a very different um from it is outside of lockdown though they're, they're, they're cheaper apparently okay. <laughs> You, you mentioned, Darren, that you're a creative person. You're a musician, songwriter, artist. How do you think that's helping you to kind of go through this changing landscape, what's happening not only in your own situation, but more generally? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it is a help. I mean, I think it's a help with life, really. And I don't mean this to say that everyone has to write a novel and everyone has to release albums but I think that creativity which we all have in some capacity I mean I, I refuse to believe that anyone isn't capable of creative thought but I think creative thought is a really important part of being alive and I think it is part of the way we cope and deal with things um, so yeah and and my my way of being creative involves a certain amount of daydreaming you know you know me and, and lots of my friends know me and, and 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 i think i think a lot of my friends uh would complain about is a certain lack of presence sometimes in me because because i live in a, 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 a you know a, a dream world and of course that's quite useful at the moment you know so my ability to retreat internally uh gives, gives me a, a superpower I'm not particularly interested in mining it in any way, um, like for product. Um, I feel like sometimes, certainly the way I make and write things, there's almost like a limit on the seriousness of things I can deal with. Um, and that's not to say I definitely wouldn't try and write some song or something about this i probably wouldn't uh it wouldn't be an elective project and i probably wouldn't leap into it head on like i probably i, I probably would do it sort of metaphorically i i, I got beaten up uh, about 10 years ago when i was in hospital got my skull fractured and, and i remember that when it happened like <laughs> some friends said almost sort of said well oh well you know never mind you may write a song about it but it's just this sort of this idea that if you if you are a writer of some kind you, you actually you even like bad things happening to you because you get free songs and with that i never did i wrote i ended up writing a record um about the essex witch trials in the 17th century and managed to within that write about claustrophobia and fear of going out and made to deal with lots of those things but put them in a a vessel that didn't didn't say Darren's been beaten up. Yeah. I also think I do have a real fear, and this is one of my first thoughts actually before anything bad has happened to me. 
I had a real fear of, of Corona art. I, I, I think, I think like art is going to really suck for a bit. Do you I know? Think, I like, knew you were going to say that. Yeah, but like, I'm certain someone's going to write a great coronavirus novel. I'm sure someone's <laughs> going to make a coronavirus, great coronavirus album. I bet it won't be in the first 50. <laughs> I bet we'll have to get through a lot of shite before we find the good stuff. The instant reactions aren't necessarily the best anyway, you know, like like the, the, the most thought-provoking. To see the truth of what's happened to us or to, to see the effect on us isn't necessarily a thing we're going to find out in November. But I can bet you by November, somebody will be sort of, you know, um, I mean, people are writing these things now. Someone somewhere is writing a docudrama right now. Someone at ITV has had a meeting about a programme about this already. Guarantee it. And so, you know, that stuff's going to be shy. And we know it's going to be shy. You know? There was like a, there was a docudrama about the, the riots, wasn't there? It was about five weeks after the riots. And it was like, yeah, let's dramatise the riots. It's like, you don't need to dramatise it. It's still, on, it. it's still on my catch-up box. I can still see it. There, there's a worrying <laughs> political dimension to that as well that, that would worry me about that kind of thing because the, so there's a sense to which this virus is also a political problem in the sense that governments reacting to it differently all, all around the world and um, history, you know, is going to be yeah interesting to see what which side uh, certain yeah absolutely are. and every day we're um, having to watch and listen to multiple fictions about this all the time mm. like like we're we're, we're constantly um, cutting through all sorts of fictions about what caused it what is being done by which government and which isn't and I guess we're talking about something else now but you, you know, which causes this, this, this sort of strange relationship that lots of people have with the idea of like objective troops and not, and how that relates to the news. Mm. So I agree with you entirely, you know, is, is perhaps the last thing we need is, is, is another fiction based on, on, on this fact, because perhaps that's all we've got anyway, is like multiple fictions mm. on it. You know, I mean, certainly I, I think it was only a day or two after my dad dying and being on that wall that I had to see, uh, you know, uh, people in America saying that there wasn't a virus, yeah. you know, saying that it didn't exist. Um, so there's sort of like an immediate case of me seeing a, a fictionalized version, you know, minutes after my dad died of it. Um, uh, there's a lot of different truths and experiences out there. I think one thing that's become quite clear to me is that we're all having a slightly different experience to one another. Yeah, a lighter observation I made. I'm kind of interested in how quickly we learn new rules. Mm. I'm kind of interested in how natural it is for me to sort of step inside a gate on the on the road to, to allow that extra space and someone to walk around and to nod at them with their mask and to acknowledge that mm. you know a piece of etiquette has been performed you know a new sort of social interaction you know now only after a few weeks seems as natural as a handshake <laughs> i think a lot of us like talked about how weird it was and it is weird it still is weird to see people tune out and see themselves in market but 
it's actually not as weird as it was in week two. I feel like our ability to adapt to some things is really odd. How has it been moving from South London temporarily to more suburb Hell. houses? Hell, I don't want to be here. I mean, I mean, I mean, I suppose, I suppose one thing is this particular suburban area is you don't notice lockdown so much because there'd be fuck all to do anyway. You know, because I was thinking like. Oh, I can't walk out to a calf. And then I thought, actually, wait, there's no, there's no calf inside ten miles of me. Why would, why would I think I could walk to a calf? You know. Um, so, so in a way, that's fine. But, but no, no. Oh, well, actually, actually, sorry, I'm being a bit silly. Um, one thing I did think, because I, I do love London, and I have lived there for, uh, I don't know, thirty-five years or something. But one thing I did think, and I saw someone else saying this is the point of london disappeared slightly and in the first uh, couple of weeks of lockdown when i did have um time to think about like more abstract sort of notions of what lockdown was mm. i found myself really missing rural england and as you as you also know i like a lot of my work is to do, even though I live in London, I spend a lot yeah. of time in very small villages doing the work I do. And, and I really missed that all of a sudden. And it was one of the first times as an adult where I thought, maybe I don't want to live in London. And that's nothing to do with what I was just saying, about the toilet roll thing. It's to do with just when things are closed in London, the point, the point of London's gone a little bit. I mean, except the fact that London has lots of parks and I do live right opposite a beautiful park but um I I I I I I would definitely prefer to experience isolation and lockdown in a tiny village I think but someone listening in a tiny village might also be saying I wish I was in London I think it can get it can be harder to get deliveries for things whereas in towns and cities yeah options for, yeah. for that and um you know if you have to yeah. drive a long way to even get any supplies well that's day. that's that's one thing i haven't had to worry about it yeah. turns out that uh, both my mum and dad were essentially preppers you know these people that are always constantly preparing for the apocalypse um i'm in a room now i think the count actually i oh, let me see yeah, hazard in a guess. I think I can see about 12 bottles of shower gel in this wardrobe. Um, again, down the bottom, I, oh, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten boxes of cereal at the bottom of this wardrobe. So there's no real worry about anyone starving. In is that just normal, normal supplies? This is before coronavirus, or do you think they stocked up? No, 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 Jasmine, there's nothing normal about it. <laughs> But yes, I would say it is what usually happens in this house, yes. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're not going to go hungry. <laughs> I really appreciate you talking to me today and I just wanted to, to thank you for, for sharing your experience, which I know has been very challenging. It's, it's no trouble at all. I think, I think, I, I think, I think, I think it is a, a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence and I think that there probably should be a little bit of an effort to have, you know, all history and, and, and things recorded in the moment. So yeah, I think I think it's it's it was it's no trouble at all. You take care. Okay. Thank you, Jasmine. Bye. Bye.
Life in Lockdown was presented, recorded and edited by Jasmine Allen in Ely. The intro and outro music is taken from a song entitled There Will Come a Day by Emma Cooper.